I do very much credit you with uh, getting me involved in real estate investing. I had tried to do a flip originally that went sideways, and I ended up having a um, a condo that I had rented out after the after a bad flip. And I realized that being a landlord wasn't all that tough. And eventually, I found uh, you on the web, and that really got me into real estate investing. So thank you for that. Welcome to the Creating Wealth Show with Jason Hartman. You're about to learn a new slant on investing, some exciting techniques, and fresh new approaches to the world's most historically proven asset class that will enable you to create more wealth and freedom than you ever thought possible. Jason is a genuine, self-made multimillionaire who's actually been there and done it. He's a successful investor, lender, developer, and entrepreneur who's owned properties in 11 states, had hundreds of tenants and been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. This program will help you follow in Jason's footsteps on the road to your financial independence day. You really can do it. And now, here's your host, Jason Hartman, with the complete solution for real estate investors. Welcome to episode 1429, 1429. I hope everybody is safe and well and managing their mental state during these quarantines and lockdowns or shutdowns or self-discovery retreats, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and, uh, and we're going to dive into that a little bit in the intro portion today. And then part two of today's episode will be the final part of Harry Dent's rather long interview that you can also see on our YouTube channel. For a quick link to that, bit.ly slash Jason YouTube. Pat Donahoe is here with me today for the intro portion. He is in the ultra elite ultra expensive $85,000 a year Tony Robbins Platinum Partnership Mastermind Group. And he has some inside information he's going to share with you. You get it today for free. Pat, thank you so much for sharing these insightful things with us. You were just on a webinar with Tony and some of his really high level advisors, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. And he's going to be doing a bunch of podcasts as well around the same topic. But yeah, this was a web, a three and a half hour webinar that he did yeah, to to his platinum group that really caused me to, to think differently about what's going on. Well, what is going on? What are those folks saying? I'll put it this way. You know, there's value in multiple perspectives, right? Because everybody has data, everybody has opinion, and usually they'll try to find the data that aligns with their opinion and perspective. Yes. That's a, that's a prejudice it, we all have as humans. Yeah, uh, no, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, and and when you yeah. really are looking at what's going on, especially something as uh, impactful as this this whole COVID-19 coronavirus and and what has been the response to it, you have to step back and find a new perspe a different perspective, right, to balance the dominant one. So I took a drive with my 15-year-old daughter a couple of days ago, and we were talking about how the media makes money, uh, how, you know, uh, different healthcare, whether it's pharmaceutical companies or or, or other uh, pieces of the the medical industry, the healthcare industry make money. And it was interesting, right? And I, you know, started to get into and asking her questions around like, okay, well, if they wanted to, to make more money, how would they do it? And it really came down to getting, you know, more commercials, being more uh, influential and, you know, leveraging certain events and circumstances, right, that get more people interested in, you know, being healthier or doing something, you know, as it relates to, to the, the medical field or pharmaceutical field, taking drugs or, or medicine, et cetera. Uh, then we got into the media, right, and, and what how the media makes money. 
and how they get more people to do business with them. And, you know, we got into, you know, what's more uh, attractive? Is it the scary event, right? Or, or is it the, the uplifting, empowering event? And right. she's like, it's the scary event. Well, the, so the, we old, the old and, saying and then, in the media business is, if it bleeds, it leads, yeah. right? And that great Don Henley song called Dirty Laundry, by the way, you know, <laughs> listen to that song. It's number one, a great song. But number two, it's got fantastic lyrics. Don Henley, who was in the Eagles, the band, the song Dirty Laundry explains the media business quite well, okay? And, and I say this as a member of the media. I'm obviously a reporter. I'm in the media business. That's what we're doing right now. But you got to understand the bias is obviously sensationalism, blowing things out of proportion. There's no question that that's what the media does and needs to do. It's a battle for clicks. It's a battle for attention. And the most sensational thing gets the most attention. And I think that the earthquake that really caused the, the tsunami of emotions and uh, fear-based psychology right, was the association with what percentage of the world, you know, the, the mortality rate of this virus, which now has been completely disproven, but the damage has been done. And so the perspective, you know, what, what Tony brought up on the webinar is looking really at the response. Is it, is the coronavirus bad? Is COVID-19 bad? Right. And it is, it's, it's killing people. But then you look at the other statistics in relation to, you know, the flu or car accidents or suicides and, and those statistics are way worse. And but we're not responding the way that we're responding right, to they're, they're you know, COVID-19. OK, so on balance, though, there is quite a difference between this and the flu, you know, the traditional flu. We can spend an hour debunking that one or confirming it. This is more contagious. There are many aspects to that. But I get the message about the media. OK, no question about that. That's true. Go ahead. No, and it's and it's not necessarily comparing this as is it worse than the flu. It comes down to the statistics of those that are dying, mm-hmm. right? And you look at again the statistics of those that die from the flu in the U.S. Fifty-six million people got the flu in 2018, eighty thousand deaths, right? And right now, coronavirus, you have twelve thousand, thirteen thousand deaths in the, in the U.S. and it's gonna and it's gonna grow. Okay, at the same time, it comes down to you know the response, and then looking at those you know that really are vulnerable. Majority of cases have been shown that the individual had at least one pre-existing condition, uh, and those that are dying, you know, typically have two to three, and that really comes down to any any type of ailment for somebody that is vulnerable or susceptible. When they're sick and they have cancer or some other ailment, right, and then they get the flu and die from that, but that happens that happens a lot. But if you look at those that are healthy. That are getting this and recovering. I mean, the statistics are 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 through the roof. So that's the point, right? And I get there's you know there, there's differences, but as it relates to the percentages, it's just again, it's it's a different perspective. And there's probably pros and cons on both sides. You just have to be able to weigh both perspectives and come to your own opinion about what's really going on. Yeah. So what should people be doing? What's the action step here? Well, like I said, you know, the earthquake of the craze and the fear-based psychology that was created, you can't stop it. It's already happened. It's just going to continue to get worse. The impact of the economy is going to be significant. It already is, whether it's the, the global supply chain being disrupted and the lack of supply of goods and services that we have here in the U.S., 
or it's, you know, just regular jobs because people can't go out and, and work and associate. I mean, I think the the world's going to be different. You know, people are not going to go to the movies as often as they did. They're yeah. not going to go out to eat as often as they did. They're not going to travel as often Couldn't as they did. Couldn't agree more. It's going to be really different. This is a long-term thing. This, the mentality of people, and Pat, one of the things I've predicted, as you know, is that people are going to leave high-density living environments, and they are going to move to low-density living environments. And I think the memory of this is going to be with us for a long, long time. I don't think people want to be trapped in elevators. I just think no. they're going to be, I think elevators are going to be the new thing that people are scared of. It's going to be association with people. Yeah. Right? I think everything is going to ch change, at least for a generation. Uh, you know, the, the short term, maybe yeah. a year, a couple of years. But I was telling you before we started recording that my mom, you know, had had polio. Yeah. And she was, you know, her, her one of her legs is, is smaller and shorter than the other. And, and she's dealt with that since she was really young. Mm -hmm. uh, and people were afraid of her. Right. People were afraid they wouldn't go near her. Right. It, it was one of those things yeah. where it was unfounded in a sense. At the same time, that's that's the psychology of people. So if you look at that as one of the dominoes, right, the first domino is the earthquake. Right. And now the tidal wave is coming. The second domino is, you know, the economy. Right. The third domino is how are people going to adapt based on their experience? Okay. And then the fourth domino, how is that going to impact markets? How is that going to impact school? How is that going to impact business? Right. You got to look at where those dominoes are and mm -hmm. then make assumptions on where the opportunity is. I think a lot of businesses are going to going to be out of business, right? And plus with all the stimulus money that's being injected into the economy, right? It, it's going to go to wasteful things as well. So you got to be paying attention to what those fourth and fifth dominoes are and that's where the opportunities are going to be. Right. And remember the stimulus creates inflationary pressure, obviously. Yep. You know, it takes a while for that to work its way through the system. One of the things- Especially the amount of money that's being <laughs> injected. It's in, it's absolutely insane. It's like I've said, we are witnessing the biggest money printing extravaganza in world history. <laughs> I mean- And it's not it, just the US. Every, all the other oh, central yeah. banks around the world are following right, suit. Right. And by the way, that's one of the problems of the myopic doom and gloomers the Agora clan, Peter Schiff, Jim Rickards, all of these people out there, even to an extent our guest, Harry Dent, okay, is that they, they're usually looking at the U.S. and they say what the U.S. is doing is so bad, all this money, all this debt, blah, 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 but compared to what? I mean, the U.S. is the best house in a crappy neighborhood, okay? Yep. It's And it has the reserve currency and the military to keep it that way. This is what people don't understand. They just keep looking at the math and there's way more to it than math. And we're also obviously in very much uncharted territory. And what that means is that, you know, everybody says, oh, we have so much debt. We have so much debt compared to the past. But the, the thing we don't know is how much debt we can handle. I remember when I interviewed this Berkeley professor on my show who was talking about overpopulation. And, and he was on, by the way, the Holistic Survival Show, not the Creating Wealth Show, okay? And he was talking about overpopulation and how the world's going to end and everything's terrible and pollution is terrible and all that stuff. And, you know, listen, I don't disagree with that on its face. But the problem is, I said to him, I said, how do you know how many people are too many? And he was stumped. I stumped him with a question. I said, 
Is 7 billion people too many? You seem to be saying that. How about back in the 60s when the cover of Time magazine in the early 60s talked about how we had, I think it was 2 billion people, and they said we had this massive overpopulation problem. How about back 200 years ago when Malthus talked about the Malthusian economics postulate that, you know, the world is going to run out of food because we're overpopulated, and this was 200 years ago, okay? You know, look, we don't know how much debt is too much. We don't know. I mean, look at Japan. We have we have debt to GDP ratio of somewhere around in the high 60%, 70% range. But Japan has 229%. I know you can say, well, look at Japan. It's not doing very well. Okay, fine. That's true. But Japan has other problems like demographic problems. We don't know the answer. We don't know how much debt is too much. We don't know how much debt we can handle. And especially when we have the reserve currency. It seems like we can get away with this little scheme for quite a while longer. And yeah, one, a, of the, one of the things you can, it's the anomaly, which is humanity, right? Humanity is, resourceful. You know, it solves problems, yes. right? It, it looks at its environment yeah, absolutely. Right? and it, it finds opportunities. It makes right. things more efficient. I mean, I absolutely. think there's going to be tremendous revolution in so many different sectors oh, ba yeah. based on all this, which you can't, which you can't predict. Right, right. This is, well, pushing... you, can, you can predict that humanity is going to rise to, rise to the occasion, yeah. but that's about it. You don't know exactly what they're going to do. Right. <laughs> yeah. They'll do something. But this kind of thing, Pat, is when we talk about uh, Joseph Schumpeter, you know, who's the economist that postulated the idea of creative destruction. Okay. And creative destruction happens naturally in a capitalist marketplace, which is Great. And, and what it says is that good ideas destroy bad ideas. They crowd them out of the market, okay? Which is a good thing. But what happens now is that you have creative destruction happening a lot faster because we are forced, because necessity is the mother of invention. And we're we all forced into a creative destruction situation with this crisis. And a lot of good's going to come out of it. You know, it's it's not all bad. There's definitely yeah. some really good things. Yeah. One of the blogs that I, I try to follow and read every day is is uh, Peter Diamandis, and he's tracking yeah. Oh, yeah. a lot of the innovation that's occurring because of all right. of this. And yeah. it's it's revolutionary. I mean, it it's so inspiring to see what people are doing to respond to this. I and mean, there's there's good there. And like you said, it's you know these are the environments in where in which people thrive. And unfortunately, you know, n new ideas have to replace uh, the bad ideas, which may have once been good ideas, but that's yeah. just the nature of evolution and nature of progress. Yep, absolutely. One other thing I wanted to say with one of your earlier comments, Pat, and we'll wrap it up and get to our part three of Harry Dent and get to that today, but is the thing that's happening and how the governments are reacting very differently in the US versus Europe. And I heard a commentator talking about this, and it's kind of interesting. I'd love to get your take on it. Many European companies aren't laying people off, okay? Because the government is paying the companies to not lay people off. And now we're doing that here through the SBA to some extent. And by the way, we have a, we're running seven days a week now on the show. And so this weekend, I think we're going to play uh, the episode with uh, one of my CPA friends that can help you get an SBA loan and get some government aid and, and take advantage of these bailouts. And so that's coming up this weekend. Look for that episode. But what she was pointing out is she said, look, when you have to restart the economy, when we all get back to work, when you don't lay people off, you can restart a lot more quickly. And she's right about that. But what she doesn't say is also interesting. She doesn't say that 
by laying people off like we're doing in the US, which seems very sad on its face, when all the businesses start back up, they got to go find new workers, right? But remember something, they learned a lesson. They, you know, maybe some of the employees weren't that great. Maybe the fit wasn't that great. Maybe the employer thought they could get a better employee. Maybe the employee thought they could get a better job that utilized their talents better. That is creative destruction, okay? And it's not all bad. Yes, it's a little more chaotic and it takes a little more time, but it also creates some benefits in the marketplace because employers will come back leaner and meaner and better at their trade and people sitting at home, hopefully most of them, are doing something productive. They're learning how to start a home-based business. They're learning a new skill. Maybe they were an Uber driver, but now they're learning programming, you know, online. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff happening that is good creative destruction that is forced upon us. And that's when we act, when we're forced, when things are urgent. Thoughts? That's part of the process. There's going to be so much good that comes from this in the long run. In the short run, it gets yeah. a little painful. Yeah, it's right? definitely painful. Not a little, a lot painful. But these but, are where yeah. the greatest lessons are learned yeah, and right. where the greatest growth takes place, both with businesses being able to uh, be more efficient and then also individuals being able to really recognize that they can be better. They can learn more. They can be have more impact on a, on a business and get a higher paying job. I mean, this is it's kind of, yeah, you're getting punched, proverbially punched in the face a few times yeah. and you're going to be stronger because of it. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a that's a great point. Pat, give out your website. Tell people where they can find you. Thewellstandard.com. So the podcast website, thewellstandard.com. That's the best place. It has all the links in there to everything else. Excellent. And if you need to reach us, of course, jasonhartman.com or call us at 1-800-HARTMAN. And let's go to part two of our show and talk to Harry Bent. I want to ask you about maybe just a couple other things. We can many, many years ago, I think back into the mid or late 90s, you made an interesting prediction that I've always thought about since I've been following you for what, 25 years now. (laughs) That prediction was that the baby boomers would start to sell off their big McMansions or just big family houses and become empty nesters. And interestingly, that has come true. I think you were maybe a few years early on that prediction, possibly. They are. And surprisingly, a lot of them are quite content to be renters and just not have the burdens. And and that's that's a surprise to see baby boomers move into the rental market in mass like we seen it, right? It's a surprise. It's never the baby boomers change everything. What basically happened in a nutshell, Jason, these the baby boomers grew up in good times, unlike the Bob Hope generation before them, you know, Great Depression, World War II, when they were entering the workforce and starting their careers. Like the millennials today, similar thing. They they didn't save. They, and they're they watching their house go up, you know, this housing bubble and their stocks go up. And they're like, well, why do we should say, well, we'll just, when we retire, we'll be worth so much money. Well, what's happened now, their McMansions have bubbled up and they're realizing, oh my gosh, with the economy slowing since 2008 and being more questionable and seeing bubbles burst, they're saying, gosh, we need assets to retire on. And they're coming to the conclusion, unlike most people who stay in their house or downsize to a smaller house, they're selling their McMansion using those huge bubble profits, which is a very smart thing to do, by the way, by accident, Mm -hmm. to create an investment plan to catch up with their savings. And then that means, though, They need those profits. So they are more and more baby boomers are actually saying, 
we're going to rent in retirement. So what do they want to rent? They want to rent a nice, great apartment building or they want to rent a more affordable, smaller, what would be a starter home to millennials or to the past boomers. They're going to down the millennials are moving up into starter homes. The retiring baby boomers are not going to go from a McMansion to another McMansion. They're going to go to a smaller home or a nice apartment building. So that makes the rental market which actually would be peaking now, except for a downturn, will always boost rental markets. This market, the last, I just did a presentation in Dallas for a, a rental real estate conference. And I basically saying, no, baby boomers are going to cause this sector, rental real estate, to continue to grow for the next couple of decades. This has never happened before. And it's a good trend for everybody. Yeah, that's so interesting how that's changed. You know, I think there's another interesting element, two kind of related things. Number one, not many people have, you know, they talk about how millennials are under so much pressure. They've got student loan debt. They basically have a mortgage. They just didn't get a house included with it. It's a crummy right. deal. Uh, yeah. You know, they've, they originally moved into kind of a very anemic job market. That improve significantly. So they're doing a little better there. But I don't know, it's a really different kind of a generation. And the thing that I haven't heard anyone talk much about, Harry, is that those millennials are going to be inheriting money from their aging parents. Now, granted, people could, if they take care of themselves, live a lot longer. But how do you analyze the transfer of wealth through inheritance? And okay. um, yeah. are, are the millennials overall in good shape or bad shape, just in a, like a soundbite? What are your thoughts about that? Well, first of all, this inheritance is not going to happen anytime soon. That ha People tend to inherit money in their late 50s, early 60s from their parents who are dying in their late 70s and 80s. So, mm -hmm. so that's that. Millennials are not even the peak not even entered the workforce yet. Uh, it's the early millennials that are starting to buy houses and spend money, and they haven't even reached the peak in spending at 47. They're at about 42 to 43 today. I can already tell they're doing everything a year later. That's why I can say they're going to peak at 47. They're not even, the early millennials aren't even at 47 to confirm that yet. So they're nowhere near inheriting money. They have less financial assets and wealth at their age than baby boomers did because they've seen, because they've seen a major downturn in stocks and a major downturn. In I mean, you got to realize baby boomers never saw a major downturn when they were their age and never thought real estate would always go up and never correct. Well, millennials don't think that way after seeing real estate go down 34% on average and in the bubbly markets like Las Vegas, Phoenix, and, and Miami and California, 60% or more. So millennials do think differently, more like the Bob Hope generation that started entering the workforce in the 30s. And then on top of that, oh, if, you, if that wasn't enough to, to slap your ass, oh, how about World War II? So millennials are going to be different than baby boomers. They're not as advantageous now. But what I tell millennials what I'm talking about, this reset in home prices, cost of living and financial assets is going to allow millennials when they need to most in the future, invest in stocks again, invest in real estate again and make money. If you buy real estate now, especially in these bubbles, you buy these bubble stocks, you're not going to make any money for decades and you're going to lose money in a downturn. So this downturn we talked about taking money from the top 20% and shifting it more to the everyday household. We're also who's going to lose the most money. These baby boomers own these financial assets from housing to stocks. Younger people don't have as much of that. It's going to shift 
money from the aging generation to the younger generation and going after this crash, real estate's going to be cheaper, borrowing's going to be cheaper, and then you're going to be able to buy stocks and say, oh, I could actually make 10% a year on these stocks again. You have no chance of that buying stocks at these levels. And, and there's very clear models that show that actually the best model shows that if you buy stocks, and this does not take into account my demographics and downturn or anything. If you just buy stocks at these valuations today on large, on stocks, you're going to lose 2% a year for the next 20, uh, 12 years compounded. Wow. Oh, that's painful. And that's Whoa. without a downturn. Yeah, that is bad. And there's going to be downturns, obviously. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay, so just to get clear, what does Harry Dent like? You like cheap rental real estate, thankfully. I like that yeah. too. I know you like that. You don't like real estate in high-flying bubble markets, no. uh, cyclical markets. I don't like that either. So we agree there. Is there any other asset class? I mean, you're not a gold bug. You've predicted gold, you know, really going right. down quite a bit to yeah. 750 and maybe to 250 it hasn't happened but no, you know, it did have be, it did yeah, have I've, a decline I've raised that from yeah. 700 to 1000 but it's still yes it's going to go it's it's in a bear market rally now I think it'll settle somewhere between 700 and 1000 it will not fall as much as other commodities will not fall as much as stocks but it is not your safe haven in a deflationary economy a deleveraged economy it was the safe haven in the 1970s inflationary bust okay so what do you like is there anything okay. else what yes I like high quality bond. I like the 10 and 30 year U.S. Treasury bonds. They're, even though they're at low rates, they're going to go lower. The money, when everything else falls, real high end real estate, junk bonds, stocks and commodities, people are going to shift money in the safest stuff, even though they get low yield and those yields will go lower. In the Great Depression, the AAA corporates and the treasury bonds long term did the best. They actually doubled in value over that decade. They only, not only held their value like cash, they increased in value 10, 15, 20 percent during the downturn. So that I like that. I like apartment real estate investment trusts around residential, not commercial rentals, residential apartments and medical facilities. And, and you can find those. Those hold up. The medical facilities have the best demographics and they're recession proof because people don't say, oh, well, just because the economy's down, I'm not going to you know, go to the hospital when I break my leg so, sort of thing. Um, so I like those. And basically, there are no stock sectors. Yes, utilities and consumer staples will do better than consumer cyclicals or growth stocks. But still, and, and, you know, but, but still, still everything goes down. Right? Yeah. I, Jason, I did this decade ago. I looked at every stock sector in the 1930s and there was nothing that, that held its value and went up in that crash and, and would have been a good thing. Now, when they crash, oh, then then stocks, particularly emerging countries. I, I tell people in this crash, you want to buy the, the, again, the same type of stuff, the starter homes and ultimately the trade-up homes, and, and they're going to be the biggest uh, bargains, the McMansions by then, that the millennials are going to want, and you want to buy- Hang, hang on uh, on that South one. Let's talk about the McMansions again. I just feel, and this is just kind of a, you know, anecdotal, okay? I just don't see a market for those McMansions after the the baby boomers let go of them because the millennials they just don't strike me as the type that would even want a house like that even if it were given to them like if they inherited yeah. that house they would just sell it they, they would sell it yeah, yeah I, I don't think they'd <laughs> like it house. so yeah. so i think those kinds of properties 
are really they're they're a conspicuous consumption they yeah. they're they're not environmentally friendly <laughs> you know there, there's just nothing about them that i think millennials would be attracted to am i right about that just kind okay. of i'm talking psychographics here right you know? but there's another side to it mm -hmm. so yes you're right i millennials are buying later because of caution and and student loans and and tighter lending since the and, great and delayed family formation and, and, and some and, of yeah, them when right. they finally do buy in their mid 30s just go ahead and buy the larger home, but you're right. They're not as likely to buy that six bedroom, five, 6,000 square foot on a golf course somewhere mm -hmm. sort of thing. Okay. And that's going to come a little later anyway in their cycle. But what happens is the, it's going to be the McMansions, they, the smaller homes that they're buying and that the, 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 we just talked about the baby boomers in retirement are trading down to when they sell their McMansions. Those are going to hold up much better in the downturn. They're going to come out much better. The McMansions are going to be a bargain. So, so when it comes down to, yeah, I'm not that conspicuous stuff, but I could buy a 4,000 square foot house for only 10% more right. than a 2,500 that, square foot. That's going to be sort and, of an and, Easy I could decision. rent. I right. could rent yeah. out part yeah. of it on Airbnb. Right, because I'm a, I'm into the sharing economy oh, and I'm modern and I like having yeah. meeting new people. It's better than couch surfing. Yeah, I get it. Now, now let me give yeah. you one better than this. And I just spoke for this guy mm -hmm. um, in the last year. There's a guy teaching people how to take large suburban McMansions and turn them into a not nursing homes, assisted living right. facilities yeah. with limited, you know, medical stuff and all this sort of right. stuff and make two to three times on those. Which okay. You Let's, rent I'm, Harry, wow. I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up. I think that assisted living thing is totally overbuilt. I think it's oversupplied. Oh, um, no, no, no. They, it is today. Let me tell you why. Yeah. This is why you look at demographics. Right. People think, oh, the baby boomers are already nursing no, they're not. They're they're, a, they're aging are, in place. Are, 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 are fading because the Bob Hope generation is dying off. Baby boomers. If I do my normal lag for eighty four peak spending on nursing homes and assisted living, for the baby boom, it's just bottoming in two thousand eighteen nineteen and will turn straight up for twenty six years and I think two thousand forty two or forty five. If I remember correctly, and they will never have enough of these things. Harry, so, I, so I, that's the I gotta last tell thing you. the boomers will. Do. I disagree for a couple of reasons. Number one, we've been talking about the graying of America since the 80s. That has been built in. There is so no, much no, no, of no, that. No, no. Jason, wait, you, wait, wait. I'm telling you, hang you're on. missing it. Okay, hang on. Let me just finish. The graying is 60s. I'm talking nursing homes are late 70s to I, mid 80s. I get it. The I get it. But, not even there but Harry, Harry, sure. okay. So, so, so yes, that's, <laughs> that's built in. I understand the 84-year lag. I totally get it. But here's the thing. Technology is the wild card in there. It's allowed people to age in place and people want to age in place. They don't want to go to an institution. And, you know, the idea that you can just have your aging parent wear an Apple watch and it will notify you if they fall, if their heart rate is too low, if their blood, not the blood pressure yet, it'll do their EKG. That old commercial, I've fallen and I can't get up is way high tech now. There are all sorts of sensors that can be placed around Jason, houses you now. just talk yourself it's, out. What yeah. is less institutional than a six bedroom home in a quiet neighborhood, maybe a half a mile oh, from your kids and their, and your grandkids? I, I agree that they're going to sell the McMansion. Because the technology makes that make, no, no, not sell it. 
you can take these McMansions, which are closer to oh, the kids. Oh, and buy them cheap and turn and, them and into just what you said, yeah, well, yeah. And, and use this. You're right. The technology allows you to put sensors in and things that make something like that more sophisticated right. without having to be a big bureaucratic institution. Fair enough, but they don't so have I to. They don't have to have any. They don't have to have any roommates at all. They can just be in their own place. That's what I'm getting. They don't need an assistant there. They okay. can just be in their own apartment or okay. whatever. First I don't of all, know. We'll see how it works. It's a pain in the ass to keep granny in your home, and and some people do it, some people don't. But even if my mother oh, not had in to their home, father, I'm saying granny in her own home. She had That's to give it up at a point. Yeah. It was unmanageable. Yeah, yeah. And if I'm an older person, and we we are, we have a really good friend that's 91 years old, just down the street from us, mm -hmm. the mother of some crypto friends we have here in Puerto Rico. She likes being in the nursing home. She's she's a block from her daughter, and she's uh, a half a mile from us, who are our best, her some of her best friends. She's hits with other people. She can play bridge and stuff. Other people like her and do stuff. Right? Why would you want to be one older person? With a bunch of younger people who live with it don't have a lifestyle, anything like you. Yeah. So, yeah, so well, I'm just saying it doesn't take everybody. You're right. More people will age in home, and that's a good thing. But if you can age in a smaller, more technologically sophisticated home, not far from your relatives, but still have your own thing, be taken care of and not be a burden. I tell you, I, I know older people that don't specifically don't want to be a burden on their kids and grandkids yeah. by living in the house oh, when they get more and listen, more. Listen, 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 I agree. I'm not saying they're going to live with their parents. That's more of an Asian thing that there's intergenerational housing. You have a little bit of that in the U.S., but not that much. Um, I'm just saying they can age in place. They can still have their own home for much longer than right, before. But, but it's going to end up with one technology. lady, no man. That, see, by the time right. we get to all nursing the, home all base, the men it's, it's 10 to 1 yeah. women to men. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and you want to live as a lady by yourself in an apartment where you feel vulnerable with nobody and no very little technological sophistication that you can afford in a one-bedroom apartment rather than being in something that's a little more. I, I'm just saying. I don't know. It, it no. won't be for everybody, but no. I do see things changing in, in what you said about technological sophistication is important. We had, my wife had her mother and her aunt, which was like her second mother, both be in nursing homes and the service was not good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there's all kinds of abuses that go on in those nursing like homes. Said, and, didn't want to be there. Yeah. Right. And it was, right. was $10,000 a month. Oh, yeah. So this yeah. guy's showing people, you get a few clients like that and maybe you charge them 5,000 a month right. and you're making 20, 30,000 yeah. a month off a McMansion that if you rent it out might be 5,000 a rent. Right. Whoa. Yeah, well, just remember it's got all, you got all sorts of insurance issues and care issues and liability and, issues. And it's grumpy not old, as and grumpy old people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and intrusive young people, children telling you what to do and, you know, filing complaints against you. And it's, Nothing is simple, okay? That's the point of life, okay? Nothing is as simple as it looks. Okay, Harry, let's just wrap up this whole macro discussion we've had with anything you want. Let's wrap it up, okay? We've talked about a lot of stuff today. Well, again, I mean, again, I, I get nothing but hated and scorned because, <laughs> and, and I tell people, okay, wait a minute. I've called a perma bear now. This is ridiculous. I and you know this was the most. I was the only guy that saw the great boom ahead. You were you were totally bullish through 2010. Well, me and much. Templeton, uh, yeah. 
Templeton saw it too, but okay. he saw it because of globalization and, and emerging market urbanization. I saw it in the developed countries, greatest boom in history when people thought the US and Europe was dead. And now I'm saying, look, we've had that great boom and now we've had this unbelievable money printing scheme. Oh, we're not gonna deleverage debt, we're just gonna cover it over with free money. Oh, does that sound like that would work? Something for nothing? Wave a magic wand, print $16 trillion and all your problems go we the reason we're going to have another big downturn we have more debt than we had before the great financial recession we didn't deleverage debt some consumer debt some financial debt we have way more corporate debt now and a lot of it buying their own stupid stocks and we have massively more government debt so so we still have to get the debt down to reality financial assets down to reality cost of living back down to reality or these young people the millennials and millennials to fall they're sentenced to a poor standard of living like the Japanese younger people have today. That's what I was alluding to earlier about Japanese young people don't want to have sex, date, and don't even think about getting married unless you're you know, marrying somebody financially independent because you can't afford to have a kid. They don't have the benefits their parents had. The parents kept that in Japan. The young people have this zero coma economy, even with three times the stimulus we've been put out comparably, and they're going nowhere. If we don't rebalance this debt, Jason, and go through what you always do after a debt bubble and financialize, and have these financial assets come down, people lose money, but it make, clears the way for the next young generation. We are gonna be like Japan in an endless coma economy, even when demographics are good and the countries are. So we need to go through this. I'm telling people, all you got, you can't control all of this. All you do is get out of the way. That, like we were saying today, both of us, you're going to own real estate, own a more affordable, less bubbly real estate that you can rent, and there'll be even bigger demand for rent in these kind of aging baby boomers, smaller houses, millennials buying smaller houses, the medical sectors in apartment buildings. That's what's going to hold up. Everything else, get out of the way. Hey, you may want to keep your primary home and live it until you die, but certainly do you use your vacation home that much? I'm living in a condo in Puerto Rico that is a vacation home. It's expensive on the beach, vacation home for wealthy Puerto Ricans and, and some gringos. And they're using it four to six weeks a year. Sell that. If you lived in your vacation home half, you may thought maybe you keep it, but, but do you really want to keep the vacation homes and the McMansions will fall the most? All stocks will fall. The most bubbly, the tech stocks will fall the most. China, you know, and emerging countries always get hit the hardest. So just get out of the way. At these levels, the models say you're not going to make much money long term. And we get out of the way. And then if I'm right, even half right, and these things crash down, then you can rebuy financial assets and, and sectors of real estate and feel confident about it. But people think, oh, you know, you know, you just sit through downturns. Yes, you sit through normal downturns. You don't sit through that 90. I mean, go back and look at that 90 year chart. Every 90 years, we see these super bubbles crash and we don't have recessions. We have depressions. Mm -hmm. You don't sit through financial assets and depressions except the safest ones. High quality bonds, affordable rental real estate. That's pretty much it. 
Yeah. Harry, the one thing I would definitely take away from our discussion today is that financial assets, in other words, the Wall Street economy versus real assets, the Main Street economy, the real economy, financial assets are are just far more risky. I would would venture to say that all the time. Yeah. Good stuff. Harry, give out your website. Okay. HarryDent.com. That's, that's where we can learn more about us and get on our free newsletter. Good stuff. Harry Dent, thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you, Jason. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. Be sure to check out the show's specific website and our general website, HartmanMedia.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Remember that guest opinions are their own. And if you require specific legal or tax advice or advice in any other specialized area, please consult an appropriate professional. And we also very much appreciate you reviewing the show. Please go Go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio or whatever platform you're using and write a review for the show. We would very much appreciate that. And be sure to make it official and subscribe so you do not miss any episodes. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode.